Adam, uh, Jeff Kidd, a membership and events director at the Academy of Ideas. Uh, if anything happens to my internet, I have to say it's been the most reliable thing since the lockdown started. It has been my internet, <laughs> so uh, it's been very good. So hopefully that won't happen. Alistair Donald, my co-host, will take over and it will be seamless uh, transition. <laughs> the format is that Helen will give an introduction and that will be followed by um, questions, points, wide-ranging discussion on the content of the novel, the literary value of the novel, the, the, the issues that are discussed in the novel, uh, context I think Helen's going to re refer to as well and, and about the author, all, all, the, all these things we can discuss um, after the introduction. To speak as in Zoom meetings, which many people will be familiar with, uh, go to the participants um, uh, section at the bottom and click on that and you should get the option to raise hands. If you don't for any reason, try and message me and I'll uh, sort it out or just wave your hand or something like that. But uh, that's the no normal way we take people in order. The Academy of Ideas, I mean, we thought this lockdown was gonna last six weeks, but anyway, six months ago, we decided not to furlough people uh, and we still haven't furloughed people and uh, we, we, we can't now. Um, and that's all, in, in many ways has been a very good thing, which meant that uh, our, our team has been able to stay abreast of developments and organize events and re responding to events and looking at some of the wider developments which have happened. That has had a financial downside um, in, in, in as much as uh, we haven't been able to organize our normal revenue raising events. So if anybody's in a position to help us, I know some people here already have, uh, through academyofideas.org.uk forward slash donate, uh, please do so. Um, we have a number of these and we'll have more of these Zoom debates coming up. The next one is in a couple of weeks on the 22nd of October, uh, on a Thursday when Nancy McDermott is discussing her book, uh, The Problem with Parenting. The details are on the Academy of Ideas website. Um, and a slightly different thing is, I'm wearing a slightly different hat as the chief executive of the uh, BOI charity. We have an event, again, indirectly, I suppose, related to some of the issues we're discussing this evening on race and racism, which obviously is one of the big issues of the year, um, which is, a, again, a Zoom event, uh, which if you go to the boi.co.uk or drop me an email and I can send you details, but they're just events which are coming up. And we will definitely be having, you know, Boris Johnson announced today that social distancing is probably going to carry on till next September. Um, and the rules they passed last week carry on till March. So we're going to be at, at this for some time. Um, and people know we can't, unless in exceptional circumstances, we can't meet in groups of more than six. So we'll be online for a while. So we'll be having plenty of events um, on a whole number of different subjects over the coming months. Uh, Helen is uh, Chief Operating Officer um, at uh, Feature Story News. Um, and uh, importantly, is uh, somebody who's uh, got a very good grasp on, um, on literature and, and events that, that are happening, social developments, and I'm sure will give us a very interesting and uh, textured introduction on what was a really interesting novel. I'd like to thank Helen for recommending it because um, I'd never heard of the novel. Some of my colleagues, such as Alistair, and, and I don't think we're familiar with the novel, and it was it's really benefited us from uh, from reading it. So 
Uh, Helen will do introduction and then we'll have a discussion. Okay, thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, I suggested this book because I came to a uh, academy event a few, I don't know when, at the beginning of the pandemic, I went to the, one of the book clubs and Jeff mentioned that you quite like short books. And so I suggested this book because it is a short book, but it packs a punch. And I think it's uh, beautifully written. It's a compelling story and genuinely thought provoking. Um, in this introduction, I'd like to begin by saying a little bit about the author and then look at a few of the many themes in the book that I think are worth exploring. So Dorothy West is not very well known. Um, she's not, she's a recognised writer, but she's not widely known. It's not a book that is widely um, read here. Um, and certainly when I came across it about two and a half years ago, I'd never heard of it. Um, and I'm in a fairly active book club and uh, it was news to me. She, I, I want to say a little bit about her because um, I think it kind of puts the book in context. She was born in 1907 and she was a daughter of a former slave. Um, her father was, a, was, you know, a slave as a child and her mother was black but light skinned. And her mother had very strong kind of middle class aspirations for her and sent her to quite a challenging school in Boston. Um, but she was always, she always felt that her mother was ashamed or disappointed by the fact that her daughter was dark skinned. And so this distinction between light and dark skin is something that's very kind of uh, prevalent in her own life. And she writes about it in some of her, in quite a few of her stories. So I think it's something that's very close to her heart. In her late teens, um, Dorothy West was drawn to Harlem, as I'm sure everybody here knows. And in the 1920s, Harlem was the center of a kind of blossoming black culture that came about in the wake of the Great Migration as you know, many uh, African-Americans moved north. And what became known as the Harlem Renaissance was a very sort of aspirational, um, highbrow, distinct black culture that developed sort of across uh, sort of, um, you know, important figures in literature, music and art and I think it's a very particular period in 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 black artistic culture that um was quite important to understanding this novel she became part of it because she won an essay competition and moved there moved to Harlem as a result she kind of got work as an editor more than a writer but she rapidly became part of this kind of Harlem set and she went on these kind of weird cultural delegations with other key figures in the Harlem Renaissance, including going to the Soviet Union in 1932, where you know the Soviets were going to get her to make a black film, and it didn't ever actually kind of pan out. But um, you know, she was very much at the centre of that whole movement. She did write stories, and her short stories appeared in publication with you know Ralph Ellison, for example. And Langston Hughes was a very close friend of her, and she was called the Kid of the Harlem Renaissance. She published her first book in 1948, and then she published this book in 1996. And I think the gap between the publication is interesting. Um, apparently, she was very near completing this book in the 1960s. But at that time, um, the world was changing pretty rapidly. Uh, and the black civil rights movement was taking off. And so she thought that this book that she had written was not really relevant. In the 1960s, everybody was kind of uh, looking towards 
protest and protest literature. It's a time when uh, black uh, writers like Maya Angelou uh, began to emerge. And so she felt that this book about the black middle class, about what are called bougie blacks here, um, just didn't seem relevant uh, to, to its time. Um, so she didn't publish it until the 1990s. And then it was an accident. She was friends with Jackie Onassis on, because uh, they both had, uh, they both lived on Martha's Vineyard. And Jackie Onassis encouraged her to publish the book and helped edit it. And you'll have seen that all in the book. But even at the time when she published it, you know, most black writers were, were kind of on a different track than she was. Uh, Toni Morrison, I'm, I'm sure people have read her stuff. She won the Nobel Prize in 1993. And again, her writing was much more kind of um, gritty and more about kind of racial oppression rather than the uh, sort of intra-racial um, uh, stuff that, that um, West is discussing here. But while I think her book was never super fashionable and her writing hasn't been fashionable, I do think there's um, tremendous merit to her writing. And I hope people have enjoyed the books as much the book as much as I do. I want to just focus on, you know, three themes that I hope will get some discussion going. I think there's a lot that you could talk about in the book and hope we do. Um, I thought I'd start by um, looking at her uh, development of characters, because I think one of the things that I think is very strong, I mean, there's a lot you can say about her writing, you know, whether the structure of the book, I think is fascinating the sense of place, the use of language, all of those things are beautiful. But I think her focus on character, I find really uh, compelling because, um, you know, if you think about the characters in the book, they are very well rounded, but each of them only appears usually for about one chapter. You just get a kind of glimpse of them. You hear a sort of little vignette about them and yet they come to life as people. Langston Hughes called her the student of the human race. And I think, it's evident in the way that she paints characters in her books. I think her characters are neither, you know, they're not monsters, they're not victims, they're not angels. She avoids all the kind of normal racial stereotypes that goes with, you know, black and white writing when people are writing about black Americans. You know, she doesn't have the kind of white stereotype of the tragic mulatto, nor does she have you know, the saintly victim, which is more kind of uh, found in modern writing. I think her characters, which are what, what I think is so wonderful about them, is they're flawed, uh, but capable. Um, and the ones that she, I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't explore everybody in the book, but she explores a lot of the, the characters across the five generations. And I think the ones that she chooses to, to explore are really complex and um you know it makes for very thoughtful and um original writing i i i'm you know i want to i particularly like the chapter about the school teacher who doesn't even get a name but i think the school teacher is who marries isaac and you know she becomes this kind of on the one hand the slum landlord um that you know is uh renting out these horrible um you know brownstones to uh, migrants coming fr uh, from the south and really not giving them anything. But she's also, uh, you know, she, so she has that very ruthless side to her, but you can also see her empathy in her kind of uh, feelings about her husband and in her sort of guilt that she feels about what she's doing. I just think she's a beautifully painted character um, and we really don't 
see her name, even know her name, but I think that she's quite um, compelling. And she becomes the kind of wealth on which the family establishes itself. And yet she's like nobody, but so important. I think it's fantastic. You can also see it in like the character of Graham, who, you know, ought to be the monster or the villain of the piece and ought to be this kind of, you know, Southern belle and, um, you know, in modern writing, you know, you can almost imagine how she would be portrayed. And yet she too is quite complicated. Um, and uh, she also, in another way, is the bedrock on which the family is built. And so I think you can go through each one and hopefully you can talk about other ones, but I think character is a real kind of theme of her writing and it's really, um, uh, really spectacularly developed. I think the second thing I wanted to draw attention to is her, uh, the way she um, creates a, a relationship between the past, the present and the future, um, which I think is, uh, you know, really uh, beautifully done. It's a book that's set over in less than 24 hours, or maybe it's 24 hours is the time over which the book takes place. And yet she weaves in five generations uh, to explain what brings everybody to this place uh, and these people with these particular outlooks and these particular prejudice, prejudices, um, you know, why the oval, why the obsession with light skin, why the obsession with social etiquette, why the suffocating attitudes that engulf most of her characters. And I think she kind of, uh, in it, without kind of laying it on too thick, she really shows how the past influences the present um, uh, with her characters. And, in this respect, she's actually, you know, I mean, not many people have written about her. She's a hard person to research, but in that she's compared to anyone, one person she is compared to is Faulkner, um, who apparently, I don't pretend to be an expert on Faulkner, but apparently his whole thing was the past is never dead. It's not even past. And she has that same kind of feeling of the past being part of the present. But I think while she acknowledges the importance of the past, she also has an opt a kind of unusually optimistic view of what influence the past can have on the future. Um, because she's sort of, uh, if you look at her characters, the past um, can't be forgotten or ignored, but it can be gradually overcome. Um, and throughout the book, generation on generation make progress and improve their lives. And more importantly, she also allows her characters to shape their paths by the choices they make. And so you have, you know, the historic, you know, Hannibal or the preacher who makes certain choices, the school teacher, but perhaps that kind of uh, sense of choice is most sharply illustrated by, um, uh, you know, Shelby, who positively in the end chooses uh, her white uh, jazz playing um, fiance to marry and Graham, who, you know, the very, very end of the book comforts the black child um, who's crying. And I think that sort of sense that we are not victims of our past, we're shaped by our past, but we're not victims of our past is a very strong theme of the book that I found incredibly optimistic. Um, and I think it's quite an unusual approach um, in black writing in America, certainly, where um, she, she really kind of treats history in a different way than I think um, you know, a lot of the sort of protest movements at the moment think about history, and we can perhaps come on to that. I think she uh, recognises the importance of past, the importance of history, but doesn't kind of create, 
make it a yoke around your neck that can't can't be kind of changed. And I think then the final thing I kind of wanted to just introduce as a theme is her. Um, it's a similar kind of theme, but it goes a little bit further. I think it's her treatment actually of race. Um, I think this is where I probably, and it may be when I read the book, you know, I read it a couple of years ago. Um, I read it kind of very near the time I read um, uh, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, um, uh, which is, you know, a very, very different book about race uh, and history. Um, and I thought her treatment of race is really uh, provocative and, and, and interesting um, because so she, you know, she has this attitude to past and presence, but it has a particular resonance when it comes to race. Um, because she, she essentially, while she doesn't sort of soften the importance of racism in history, um, her message is very clear that race is just a kind of social construct. You know, she ends the book with this amazing line where she says, color is a false distinction. And I think that she, I, and, and, and I think one of the most wonderful little vignette stories in the whole, well, to me, I mean, there's lots of them, um, but the, the wonderful story, which is so sad and yet so touching, the story of Shelby when she gets lost with her dog and she gets found by the white families and they think she's white and uh, it creates all this confusion and, um, you know, and it's also insanely stupid, you know, that nobody kind of can make sense of what's going on. And um, it's, it's both a wonderful story, but it's a fabulous illustration of the kind of um, crazy, craziness of the distinction of race um, in, in, in its most sort of poignant way. And while she's not writing kind of a political track, she forces you to think about race in a way that is quite different than I think it's often portrayed. And I think she, she really um, confronts this idea, which really was originally a, a, a totally racist idea, but I think has become quite mainstream. Um, the whole kind of one drop rule, which is, you know, if you have, I'm sure everybody here knows it, if you have one drop of black blood, it was always considered in, you know, the, uh, both the, the slave owning South and the Jim Crow South, that if you had one drop of black blood, you were black and you, you had to abide by the rules of black people. I think she shows that in a modern context, that rule is ridiculous. Um, and she kind of ridicules that, that idea in a, in a very gentle but persuasive way. And I think it's very kind of powerful in her writings. Um, and I think that it's, an, it's a rule now that in fact, ironically, you know, uh, uh, liberals and black activists now also kind of cling to this sort of one drop rule. And so I think it's kind of very powerful when she says that, you know, uh, color is a false distinction. It's quite a sort of um, a, a great claim that she's making. And I think it puts her firmly in this sort of more, even though the book was published in the 90s, it sort of puts her in that much more kind of modernist tradition um, and makes for a very, very kind of interesting perspective in the book. I love the book. Um, I know there's lots of other things that we can discuss and I hope everybody here in, enjoyed the book so, as much as I did. But if you didn't enjoy it, please tell me because I think it's also um, fascinating to know what people don't like as well. But uh, that's just my opening thoughts on the book. Thanks very much, Helen. There's plenty of ground there. 
And so it's just open now for people to either ask questions or make points or uh, respond to each other, a bridge. Hi. Yeah, I absolutely loved the book as well. Uh, it was so refreshing. It was just so different and um, a, a, a real page turner. And uh, I know Shirley mentioned just before we started um, difficulty of kind of uh, following through the various generations, but I think that um, genealogy in the front was a big help because I refer to it frequently. Um, just on one of the characters that I really enjoyed was um, the preacher and, uh, and the woman he called his butternut woman. And to me, that was uh, just a really great example of somebody who, from very lowly beginnings, but with a lot of ambition, um, pulled himself up by, by his bootstrings and uh, became a self-made man. Um, not educated, not uh, even literate, but um, wandering the countryside looking for work and as well as being a Bible thumper. And um, he knew how to read people. He knew how to use white people in order to get what he wanted and was able to uh, make a, a life for himself uh, and, and his wife and to support his very bright child whom um, he recognized was um, would uh, become something in life. He wanted him to become something in life and he wanted him to become a medic in particular. So his, his, the importance of education for him was really, uh, I, th I thought that was great. And um, sending him off uh, to the North to be educated, uh, supported by this um, kind of uh, very nice teacher, uh, would have many apparently who went from the north to the south to support and edu help educate black people. So I thought that was a great, um, a, a great kind of uh, insight into the lives of people, free and and making something of their lives. Thank you, uh, Alka. So first of all, Helen, I just want to give you a huge smackaroony for introducing me to this book because I think it's just fabulous. I cannot recommend it or love it enough. I'm engaged in discussions on what should go in literature reading lists and I will be pumping this out till, till the cows come home. Absolutely fabulous. Um, a few bits of purple prose, but I can easily forgive them. I agree with everything you said. I think the two, I mean, what struck me as so true and so wonderful, which are linked to your themes, but it's, it's how she manages to give such a brilliant literary rendering of the subjectivity of all the characters in a way that they interact and, and their agency, like you're saying, they, they are not, which is so different to the, to the way subjectivity is rendered in today's literary um, books, whether they're actually literature or whether they're pretending to be a hybrid of literature and politics like Renier Do Lodge or Tanahisi Coates. And they have a kind of poetic flow about them, but they're so thin in actual substantive content because they're dealing, their idea of agency is, is really kind of rigid and narrow that people kind of only can be the sum of their 
kind of social determinist experiences without that individual determination, without that individual free will and intentionality. Now, that was just beautiful. And then the other thing that I think is linked to that is, is the way the theme of belonging is rendered in this. And that, you know, when you, you mentioned the early episode of Shelby and the dog, and for me, that was just like one of those moments when you read something and it makes you just kind of like literally go, <gasps> you just realise like in one split second, this little girl has realised that she is different. And, you know, and for all our talk of universalism, the fact is, is that if you are coloured in a majority white country, you will feel that at some point in your life. And it's silly to deny it, um, but what you then have to do is what she does is, is to show that that needn't be the end of the story. You know, that really needn't be the end of the story and that it, the end of the story doesn't have to be following a single narrow reductive train of thought from that point. That you can go sideways and upwards and downwards with people across the range and interact them in different ways. I, I just, I mean, honestly, I just thought it was just beautiful. So thank you. Thanks, Arthur. Uh, Jenny. Well, as somebody who's very new to the uh, uh, book club and has always has disliked the other <laughs> books <laughs> intensely, <laughs> could I say that uh, Helen gave a wonderful introduction to a really wonderful book? I really enjoyed it. Um, I wanted to pick up this point about the relationship between the past. Um, and the present and, and future, because um, I, uh, in, in my um, open university degree course in English literature and language, which seems to have been going on for a long time, I, um, we looked at uh, 20th century writers in New, New York and did quite a lot of the poetry of, of uh, Langston Hughes and Claude Mackay, uh, amongst others. And I thought one of the things that, although she never explicitly refers to that period, other than in her discussion of the teacher, that there was quite a strong link between the history of American history, the relationship between the South and the North, and in particular in the early 20th century, um, the um, obviously the huge influx of Africa, African Americans into um, the North and Harlem in particular. Um, and I mean, they came obviously not just because of, 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 of the desire for labor, but also because, you know, in the North, there was much less overt racism. And, um, you know, there, there was no Ku Klux Klan, there was no lynching, and, and, and that made obviously a decisive difference. But I, I think as well, although um, the introduction made the point that um, most of those writers involved in the Harlem Renaissance were very, very much concerned with the black working class, were part of it as well. Um, I mean, uh, 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 Claude Mackay, for example, came from Jamaica and, you know, was a radical and a lot of his poetry 
um, in, you know, is, is engaged with, with the problems the working class face. Similarly with Langston Hughes, his poetry is absolutely beautiful. And he strikes this balance between um, the vibrancy of, of the Harlem Renaissance and, and, and all of the people in it, together with the degradation of the slum um, uh, Harlem. And I, I, think, I think that was quite important because I agreed with you, Helen, very much that the, the school teacher is one of the most striking characters both from the point of view of character development, but also because of this link, as I say, to the whole history of, of, of that early 20th century period. Um, you pointed out she's sort of buying up all the slum property, um, and but also at the same time, organizing all these charity balls, you know, to raise, raise money. But then, she becomes involved in this what was called her researches in which she goes into the slums into the ghettos and interviews people and i i thought that was was so poignant and so striking that now she's actually speaking to people who are talking to her in in this i, I hope i pronounce it correctly gula which is this Creole based on English and some elements of, of the West African uh, languages. And she just writes so beautifully about how, what an impact this has on this character. But also you can really see how it draws out the, the, the hardship of these lives and the hardship of her husband who basically kills himself working in those ghettos. And that last final beautiful moment, you know, when, when they finally connect, you know, and make love and he dies. Um, so I, I agree that was very striking, but I thought the way that she used history in order to draw out the, the present, even you know we can say our own present uh, was very very extraordinary thanks helen do you want to come back on anything so far and then i'll take the next up hand sorry yeah i mean i think i'm, I'm glad that so i'm really glad that jenny liked the book because every book club i've been to she's hated the book so i was like will jenny like it so i'm very pleased that uh, you like it um i think that it is uh i think you know, one of the things I think is um, is very, very powerful in the book, as Jenny says, is the sense of the importance of um, it being a story. It's basically a story of America that essentially, you know, it's north and south, it's intergenerational, it's intra-racial. Um, and I think that that sort of sense of the importance of the Great Migration without writing, you know, I mean, Isabella, Isabel Wilkinson has written, you know, The Warmth of Other Sons, which I would absolutely recommend everybody reads. It's an absolutely brilliant book um, where she details in, but it's not a book club book. It's like 800 pages, so it won't work for your book club. But it's a really, really brilliant book. But she almost captures in that one chapter 
all the kind of the intensity of that moment um, uh, as um, you know African Americans get that sense of freedom. I mean, that's it, it's not like they really get freedom because they come to these terrible places, but she really captures that this was a moment when you could transform yourself. And I think that's really um, quite an important moment in black history in America. And I think it's it's really great. I think that the other thing I, I just was, I, I kind of was gonna um, say that I think, yeah, you know, I was gonna say this in my introduction, but I just think in terms of a epic novel that covers generations, I also think it's really unusual. I mean, I've, I've just read, I um, can't remember who wrote it, it'll come to me in a minute, Homegoing, which is a, kind of history of um, slave from, you know, from slavery to the present day and part of it's set in the Ivory Coast and part of it is set in America. And it's much more prosaic, you know, each generation, then you go to the next generation. I mean, it, you know, it's quite interesting, but it's, it's a, it, this is such a beautifully weaved way of telling history. And I think that it is, you know, very masterfully done. And I think that recognizing that actually she was able to write such a short uh, book, but essentially it is a book about, it's really a book about the black American dream. It's like, this is the American dream. It's as Alka says, it's about trying to make yourself, which is what the American dream that you can all, everyone can make it, but it's just a little bit more complicated, you know, for these black families. And I think that it's, it's, um, you know, quite a, um, quite a feat the, the way she does it. Uh, Sharmini? Hi, hi, can you hear me? Yeah, there's a bit of feedback, but, but carry on. Uh, okay, um, yes, I was quite, uh, you know, I was interested in this uh, distinction or how cleverly she deals with the issue of racism on the one hand, and then the, um, uh, as opposed to the category of race, which she's trying to challenge, um, and, and, and the way that, um, you know, there's both, there's both sort of people within the black community and uh, within the white community who are trying to challenge um, racism um, through the book. And I thought, you know, the fact that, um, what's his name, is it Hannibal, um, who has this, uh, the, the, the white teacher, you know, Amy Norton, who actually helps him on, on his way. There were a lot of those sort of people as well who were, <clears throat> who, um, you know, the, the, the black um, freed slaves relied on to help them um, move, move along in, in the same way. Um, and um, this thing about putting, you know, the, the, the thing about putting people in boxes, um, I thought the, the bit where she talked about, you know, Shelby, who when, when she goes through that walk with her dog and starts out as a, as a kind of, she says, her walk through the woods had started out as a triumph of self, a beginner step forward in independent action, and then, you know, ends up being put into a box at the end. You know, it's, it's, it's both, you see the, um, yeah, the, you know, the, the horrible, um, issue of being cat of, of using the category of race which i think today people tend to box themselves into these categories and and it's um what i liked about her was her challenging that all along you know she she's just so humane about 
um, this this whole issue. Um, and the other, you know, she makes a point where she says somebody said Shelby, I think again, also says identity is not inherent. Um, you know, it's um, um, and, the, and and the point about not allowing not allowing hurt to to turn towards hate but letting the hurt enrich her experience and i think it's very pertinent in today's situation where so many black people are kind of almost accepting being boxed into these you know into the categories that we should be challenging um yeah i don't want to say anything more thanks thanks Ramani. uh wendy yeah, I, I thought it was a fantastic book, one of the best I've read for a long time. Really, um, it's one of those things where you just feel like your eyes are being opened and, um, and you're enjoying the process because it's so beautifully written and it's so well structured. Um, just, just great. I think the, the couple of points I wanted to make was really about her, the, the, on the one hand, you know, the focus on race, which kind of gives you a sense of it's incredible psychological complexity for individuals, you know, growing up in that sort of post-slavery world and sort of, and handling all the repercussions of having been slaves and the huge levels of inequalities and the sacrifices they had to make, make to rise um, into a more sort of like um, a better level of being human. And that's, you know, I thought her, 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 the way she sort of, just draws that out so subtly through all her different characters is, is fantastic. But the character Loot, I think, is really interesting. I mean, particularly in relation to what Helen was saying about um, what makes her as a writer, Dorothy West as a writer, so different from the other writers is because, you know, he, his class, he, his way of life in a way is the focus of, um, you know, the, and you know the awfulness of, of all of that is very much the focus of um, of the kind of other other writers and the sense of of, of that kind of um, people really kind of in a way um, sort of brutalized I suppose by their experience of race and as a character he um, he really is the most flawed of their characters, you know, that in the end, all he can do is use people. He's in a way the most destroyed of characters. He can, he, the, his whole problem is that he just uses people and he uses white women to gratify himself. And then he decides that the woman who will, um, you know, say, look after his children, you know, he's, he's interested in her because he obviously, you know, fancies her as a beautiful woman, but his main interest in her is actually as a mother of his, children without even ha having any sense of of um of that being her whether her choice you know she should have a choice in it or not and in a way you know he i suppose the morals the moral of that story if you like that she kind of draws out in the end is how that kind of approach to human relationships and how you um interact with other people if you treat people simply as racial categories or you treat people simply as chattels um, or things to be used, um, how very destructive it is. And then just in terms of thinking about the structure of the book, the way he there, you know, way that can be related back to the Josephine story, 
where you know she literally decides to get married to Hannibal because she can't bear the idea of being a spinster and she needs you know she has to marry somebody so she marries that person simply to get herself out of spinsterhood and and actually you know all that does is compound her sense of despair at the decline of the system that she grew up in and the destruction of the system that she grew up in so I think she's an incredibly clever and perceptive writer in in being able to give sort of like three-dimensional characters who also really kind of penetrate some of the kind of the problems of what it means to live in a society like that and what it means to live in a society more generally that how you relate to people can't be based on simply seeing them as um means to ends uh, alistair yeah, uh, thanks, Helen. That was uh, a great tip for a book. I really enjoyed it and I thought your introduction was was really useful. Um, I, I think I also read it in a, uh, having just read some of these recent books on, on race and identity. And the one that particularly was in my mind all the way through reading it was uh, Rene Edo Lodge's uh, I've, I, I, uh, Stopping um, uh, Talking to Black People About Race, because in that book, uh, there's, there's a section in that book where she looks at the whole question of mixed race. Um, and uh, obviously, the light skin, dark skin thing is 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 very much a question. And as you say, uh, the interesting thing about the the, the wedding was was how um, none of the or, or most of the characters didn't seem to be trapped in their identity, so they could move and move in different environments, whether that be geographical, so moving north, or whether in different kind of work or social situations, and and fit in to some extent. Whereas the whole uh, thrust of uh, Rennie Edel Lodge's book and the way that she talks about race is, is to reintroduce uh, those divisions, even within mixed mixed race families. I'm, I, I've actually got a goddaughter who's mixed race, who's 25 years old now, and I, I remember her growing up in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And while race was to some extent a question and life was complicated, not least of all that actually by the fact that the the Jamaican mum's brother was a policeman which introduced these kind of interesting uh racial discussions into the situation but so it wasn't uncomplicated but their lives were never defined by these issues of of mixed race whereas when you get to the way that people talk about it today and this is particularly the case with Rennie Edo Lodge um She's actually she's her, her whole point about mixed race is that uh, it proves that society can never overcome race. The discussions just now, uh, she says that the colorblind colorblind approach makes it more difficult for mixed race children to grow up um, and that parents need to be more race aware. So she's particularly critical of uh, David Cameron's government at that point where they were going to in, uh, take away the obligation of local authorities to consider the race of a child in, a, in, a, in an adoption process. So I think the, the, the book was a brilliant reminder of how uh, different a, a discussion and outlook existed in the past compared to some of these authors today, where the imperative for them all seems to be to completely reinforce racial divisions in a way that people are utterly trapped uh, and, and can't escape them. Okay. <laughs> Apologies because I missed the introduction, so I look forward to hearing it. I've been traveling, but I would just therefore wanted to ask a couple of questions that might not cover what you've already covered. But I wanted to reflect 
on the fact that so many of us um, say, wow, you know, why have we not heard of this novel before? Why have we not read it? Right, this is the book club. In the UK, this isn't a widely read novel. And I spend a lot of time, <clears throat> and I was thinking that Alka could maybe reflect on this, you know, where you kind of get irritated by people saying things like, you know, that you've got to shake the curriculum up and, uh, you know, we've got to decolonize the curriculum and so on. But as Alka rightly pointed out, I'd have this on the reading list any day, but it is a neglected novel. And it's a neglected novel because it's by a black woman, I assume, apart from anything else. You know, it's not a widely known thing. And we're all saying, oh, thank you, Helen Searles, for making us read this novel. But we should all have heard of it because it's a classic and you can't see why it's not more canonic. And so I thought that was worth noting that, 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 that in fact, you know, it is sometimes the case that when people say that things are neglected, um, because of who's written them, there's a point to that. There is a truth to that, which we shouldn't be too churlish about. Secondly, um, in a defensive way, sometimes when people try and flatten history and constantly say that, uh, you know, we have to be aware of, you know, if you walk past a statue in this country, obviously it's more profound in America, but, you know, you've got to know the history of slavery. You've got to be aware of all of these things or you won't understand anything. I think the novel probably brings to life more than many other kind of more didactic attempts at hectoring us, precisely the specific history of black Americans that is specific and and there's you know that you can and that and that skin colour does matter. It's just that it's not the essentializing ingredient that defines everything. But of course it matters because in a country like America. The idea that you can, so the reason I'm saying that is because, like everyone else politically, I know this is the book club, Jeff and Shep, because I'm not doing any literature, but um, but sometimes we um can be in a situation where you you're so keen to indicate the importance of character rather than you know the Martin Luther King point and the color blind point that you can crassly come over as not acknowledging the distinct historical experience of. Uh, uh, black America, that of course, where the history, the historic detail does impinge on the present, not in a flattened way, but precisely in the way that she weaves in that history, that you can see the different strands of history emerging and the impact that historical reality had on the different generations, which is one of, and, and of course, to a certain extent, you could also see that the, the amount of progress, so the, the change that is there is also emphasize so those people who try and imply that history is flat and that today things are just like being a slave are obviously equally crass but anyway it's a uh, an important therefore reflection it seems to me on the subtle way that that you can understand uh, that, that the impact of a, a particular history and and uh, 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 racism and the experience of black america in that particular way i just wanted to so just just on the actual content of the novel, but because I'm just not sure that 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 you haven't dealt with all this. That um, the the Josephine and Hannibal relationship um, is brilliant in as much as I really wanted it to be a happy story. You know, I wanted them to. You know, it's like you want this to be the first example of the kind of uh, racial mix. Everyone's got to be, and it's absolutely 
depressingly awful. Neither, you know, and and so one of the brilliant things about the novel as well is that you do not feel as though this is romanticized. I mean, the preacher story is so inspiring and wonderful, but it's not as though everything that happens in this novel reflects on 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 things don't just have happy endings. That's the point I'm making, and I and I think that she manages to do that without demoralizing us or without it being nihilistic or depressing. It's a reflection of life. And I also thought it was fascinating that Hannibal's obsession with a romantic vision of the past was partly his destruction or his inability to create a present. I mean, he had a, a different kind of a romantic relationship with uh, the historic past. Anyway, um, but yes, like everyone else, Helen, I was so glad I read it and recommend it to everyone all the bloody time now. Thanks. So I've got a few hands. Helen, do you want to come back on anything first and then I'll take the other? Uh, some great points are being made in, in the discussion. So um, uh, I think one of the things I think is, uh, is quite interesting is that sort of the point that um, uh, Claire made about a historic sort of longing, um, which is, uh, you know, evident in, in um, uh, she talked about in, in Hannibal. But I think that you can see it also in um, it's actually a little bit of a theme of the book in that um, Graham talks about Xanadu as, you know, her sort of mythical illusion of what, you know, living in the south on the plantation was like. And then you can see that for these kind of bougie blacks that the oval is sort of like a new Xanadu. It's a sort of place of of where everything is in its place and there's an order and you know there's uh, there's an understanding and this sort of yearning for that sort of sense of everything being in order and yet it constantly then being disrupted that you know they never reach Xanadu. Xanadu is always replaced by something else I think is a really uh, great sort of you know it's a, it's a sort of recurring moment in in the book and I think that's um, uh, really good. Um, and I think I, I, I was going to throw something out to see if people, uh, one of the, my book club discussed this and uh, um, my book club is, you know, a bit different than this, but one of the things they all thought was it was, it came to an end too quickly. Whereas I thought it actually had a very, it had a beginning, middle and end. And I quite liked it. I quite liked the sort of the shape of it, but I, I can see, you know, that having those sort of two little slightly not contrived, but can, you know, the little thing of, you know, uh, Graham turning and walks away and, you know, turning and picks up the baby and all of that is, you know, maybe that's a bit twee, but I felt that she didn't need to say much more. I felt it was, it was okay, but I've read that in a number of the reviews. People say, oh, it could be a hundred pages longer. So I'm interested in, in what people think. I think it's, she did the job and, and it's fine. I mean, you could also argue that some of the male characters are a little bit, um, uh, thin, although I think you get a picture of them. I think, you know, um, Clark and his affair with Rachel is, you know, quite well explained. And I think Rachel in just in the course of a, you know, I think in my book, it's about three page letter. The fact that her, she comes across so clearly as to who she is and what she represents, I think is also just a brilliant bit of writing. It's just fantastic. But um but the, you know, the male character thing and the ending are some of the criticisms that I've heard levelled at the book. Yeah, okay. 
No, no, I, I agree. I can see the point. Of, I, I, it did feel a little abrupt to me, but it really just so didn't matter at all, um, you know, given, because it had to come to an end somewhere and that seemed to be as good a point as any. And it was at a very, um, you know, summative moment and she did it beautifully in, in, in the, the quote that you gave at the beginning. But what I, what I, rem I mean, I, I think you're right, Claire. It, it may be... It, the thing about selection for the canon is that there are social factors and political factors at work there as well. I think as well as it being a black woman, it might also be because I think it was just Helen, you alluded to this at the beginning, but her book doesn't didn't kind of fit the zeitgeist in terms of it's a story of black aspiration, a black American dream. And I don't know if any um, listening to Cheryl's lecture a few days ago, but she talked about um how in Chicago, the, 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 this, you know, the hyphenate, the ethnic hyphenated identity, the black American, the Hispanic American, how it's at different times been, can be used in, in an exclusionary or, or an inclusionary way. And it just seemed to me, this was, this was so brilliant because what you had here was a, a, a depiction over generations of how that hyphenated identity could come into being and how it could um, it could acknowledge difference and the unique experience of being black or being half mixed race, um, but but sort of under the rubric of this kind of wider nexus of shared values, the American or liberal values. But the key thing I wanted to say was the real testament to this woman's um, imaginative and aesthetic power for me was the was her description of Graham and the way she she shows you what all these idiots today banging on about white privilege she actually shows you what white privilege feels like because when you're reading Graham I was getting the impression that for Graham race was almost like a religion for her it had the power of a religion to structure every single experience you know every single relationship and then there's that key moment earlier on I mean it's echoed at the end but even earlier on when she says um she has to decide whether to go to her daughter, Josephine. And she says, you know, she loved, it was, a, the choice was between the whole ossified structure of the way she had made sense of her life in terms of race or loving her daughter and going to her daughter when her daughter's dying and she chooses the latter. And it was, that was just devastating. It made me understand why, what white privilege could be and what was wrong with you know and that for a, a black woman to do that then is I think just absolutely extraordinary. Shirley. Am I can you hear me? Yes. Yeah you can okay all right I'm gonna lower the tone a bit I'm sorry um I struggled a little bit in the middle and I think that was partly because as I admitted at the beginning I hadn't didn't have the uh family tree to hand and I was getting a bit confused and a bit unsure about where it was going by the end um everything had come together beautifully for me and I, I, I my first thoughts were how there was so much in there of course that you know the whole the race thing is is absolutely central but the, the, but some of those themes I mean for example the school teacher with the mixture of exploitation and philanthropy um you know, you could just, you could see in, in, in white middle class as well as black middle class. 
Um, I, I, and then this is lowering the tone. I thought of it as being a literary black dynasty sort of story, you know, um, where um, and the, the, the going back to particularly some of the, the generations and the, the links of the generation right at the end where it's revealed that um, Clark's house actually was the house that belonged to the Nortons, you know, that those links with the past are really interesting. And just another throwing in, I, I thought Rachel, that, that letter from Rachel was absolutely wonderful. Um, but I also thought some of the little cats, some of the little scenes, for instance, between Liz and Shelby were, were so revealing and, and they're just characters came together. And I thought that's what you were saying, the example of what you were saying, Helen, about the way that the characters were really three-dimensional. Yeah, they, you believed in them, they were real. Um, yeah, so in the end, I've uh, you know thrown off my Philistine approach to it and I really did come out thinking, yeah, this is, this is a good... I've just read too many crap novels during lockdown, I think, and had to up my game to really appreciate this. Thank you. Uh, Dennis? Um, yeah, uh, enjoyed this book. Um, I suppose it's difficult to not read it with the whole background to, you know, the contemporary issues around Black Lives Matter and, you know, how white people, you know, think about race or have thought about race or, or are imbued with some sense of, you know, um, what black people are and so on. You can't help but read it in, in that context. I thought it almost seemed to me like um, the book was distilling from the earliest stages you know when like even in the names that are given to people also marries ebony woman butternut woman marries preacher it's like it's like in 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 the names people are given there is a distinguishing of people from ebony which you you would kind of think is more black to butternut as being more brown and sort of you know colonel lance shelby and graham go on to, you know, give rise to Josephine. So that's a mixed race relationship to start with. It's almost like by the time you, you, you start with the characters and you get through to Shelby in the end, you're kind of almost extinguishing blackness from the whole family tree of these people. It kind of it struck me that that was what was happening. And along the way, you meet all the various kind of permutations of blackness that might exist within American society and, uh, and uh, how happy we are to leave it behind. And she says, race tells us nothing, love tells us everything, or, you know, race is of no consequence, love is all in the end. But even from the point of view of love, there isn't much love in the relationships that you see between people as they develop over, over time. Uh, and then um, you're kind of left wondering, you know, is this an exposition of uh, a kind of aspirational kind of black people's kind of um, road to success, albeit that that success is based upon, you know, more or less exploiting poorer black people. You know, in the context of American society, we know that by the 1930s, the capacity of the American economy to integrate the kind of immigrants that had come to America and formed it, like the Irish and the Italians and Jews and so forth, all those sectors had been to some extent integrated into American society and black people hadn't been either 
there were two reasons. One could be race and the other could be the fact that the American economy was faltering uh, and has never kind of recovered. You know, never, never, that, that was the end of the American kind of great boom of the American economy. Everything afterwards was more subdued. And so black people weren't integrated as they moved north. And so the only way that family could make their money was through, you know, sort of slum landlords and uh, and then, um, you know, Hannibal, for example, who is, you know, is a doctor treating black people. All that seems to be sort of, you know, quite interesting in terms of explaining it, but not, um, not uh, you know, it doesn't seem like the conclusion you can come to is that, you know, race means nothing. It only means nothing if you can leave it behind. Yeah? If you can sort of forget about it in the sense of you've, you, 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 you've kind of married and had children and Shelby's children after she marries me will be sort of that much more further down the white line. I, I couldn't help but think along those lines as I was reading it much as I enjoyed it. Sorry, I just wanted to pick up uh, the, the two points that, that were made. Helen made the point about the male characters seeming rather less substantial perhaps than, than, than many of the female ones. And the point that Dennis has just made about how actually the relationships weren't that loving when you came down to it. And it just raised one of the things that I, I had felt slightly uneasy about. Obviously, most of the men had actually chosen to put their whole lives into their careers. And choosing a wife was just part of that. So they're often chose people purely for their status or their whiteness. Um, and, and what sort of bothered me slightly was this idea that she often introduced through her characters that people were unsatisfied with their sexual relationships and therefore sought relationships with either blacks or whites. But it was particularly... Um, noticeable in in Clark and Kareen that he he has this very well in in the first place he wanted to actually have a relationship with a woman called I think it's Sabina or Sabrina and then of course has a relationship with this with Rachel who's a beautiful black woman and it's suggested that Kareen actually has her flings with black people. And then of course you come to that last bit, which which somehow to me didn't, or, or perhaps was the sort of slightly ugly side of Liz, Liz's suggestion to Shelby that she would never know she was marrying the right person unless she had actually had a sexual relationship with a black person. And I just thought um, I just thought that I don't know. It's um, it was the one thing that that struck me as as not being as um, as fully developed, perhaps, or it it became too easy a cipher for these rather empty relationships. Thanks. Uh, I'll take Wendy and then Helen to come back, and then we'll have any final. Uh, last point. So, Wendy. Oh uh, yeah, I suppose just on that last 
um, point about, well, partly about that sort of um, the struggling um, of the first part of the last one, the struggling of people to sort of get ahead, you know, this unhappiness of people who were sort of striving. I mean, that did remind me a little bit about the stories of the uh, English public school system and sort of like the, and also stories about Victorians, sort of like, you know, that thing about emerging out of poverty into wealth is a hugely, um, you know, challenging process and people, you know, the whole thing about social upward mobility is historically, you know, might get forgotten in con contemporary times because everything's, you know, people are relatively wealthy, but, you know, was part of, you know, in a way that that experience of black people in America was perhaps not so different from the experience of Victorian people striving to, um, you know, raise themselves up the social ladder in, in one way or another. So I think that that's sort of like a, was like an interesting parallel. I think in terms of the unsatisfactory, um, like I think the, the Liz character, I actually thought um, she, I thought that was a really interesting discussion because she was challenging Shelby to think about um, what she was doing in marrying a white man. And that sort of like did, you know, that uh, Shelby and um, Liz's father, Cole, um, you know, had his crisis right at the same time and wanted to stop Shelby from marrying a white, um, a white man because she, he had made this huge sacrifice in marrying Corinne, where he was marrying for whiteness, as you were saying. So, but I think that, I don't know, I think that kind of did work. I mean, I think there are a number of ways in which, you know, she obviously manipulated the story for a certain end, which was this end of exploring, you know, what it meant to be black in a white society and how prosperity and middle-classness was actually associated with whiteness. Um, at the same time, um, people did see themselves as black. I mean, people actually, you know, the thing that I think that's really brilliant about the novel is how complicated people's relationship with their race is and was. And that, that is an idea that has been so thoroughly lost now that it's not a, a simple, straightforward thing. I'm black, therefore I am. I'm white, therefore I am. It's just, they were struggling with that really, um, a really distorted society that was, was forcing people into certain patterns and lines. And they were struggling with that, you know, and I, I think she, she kind of brought that out through the Liz Shelby relationship quite cleverly, um, you know, because it's just such a, you know, it, it did kind of reveal what a, an ugly um, ideology, I suppose, you know, had, had come down to these young people that they were then having to deal with and confront and work out their way through. And Liz makes one's choice and she was trying to point out to Shelby, who was making another choice, you know, she was challenging Shelby's choice, um, which, you know, seems fairly real to me. Okay, Helen, do you want to come back on a few things and then we'll... People yeah, I mean, I think um, I actually had a similar thought at a certain point, I think particularly the first time I read this, where I thought, you know, maybe the logic of a, 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 um, a similar point to the point that Dennis made, that maybe the logic of this is the 
kind of elimination of race um, and that's where it's sort of you know ultimately heading and that's sort of what the book is doing but I think her her discussion on you know and, and the point I tried to bring out about her relationship of the past to the present to the future I think means that she doesn't do that I think she is trying to write a distinctive and a distinctly black history of this, this family um, she's not trying he's not she's not trying to sort of deny the distinct uh, racial experience of these people but she's also saying that it isn't fixed and so I think that um, but I do agree with Dennis I think that you know just when there was a sense that you know there could be equality in America um, and America is really really different than Britain and I think it's important to understand that race relations in America are very very different you can't just kind of transpose one on the other but at the moment when you felt that there could have been the integration of um, uh, blacks into American society, the depression just kind of threw it out the window. And, and, but at the same time, because of the Jim Crow South, people from the South just kept moving North. And so you, you know, end up with, uh, you know, huge concentrations of uh, African American uh, communities, you know, in Detroit, in uh, Wisconsin, in Chicago, uh, obviously in Harlem. Uh, without any real prospects and so the sort of sense of because people it was better than being in the south and so it's a kind of interesting history that doesn't reach that sort of moment of equality that you feel you know it was destined to do but never quite reaches that and I think that this book because I think it was written in the 60s doesn't quite embrace that last phase um, particularly well but it's not meant to be a history book it's a novel I think the second thing I would say about her male characters I do think she is influenced by and this may be pushing I don't know this but I think that seeing she pretty much wrote this mainly in the 60s even though it was published later I think she is influenced by um the sort of Betty Friedens of this world in terms of the um feminine mystique and the, the notion of um women as housewives and you know what the 50s did and how brutalizing that was to women because I think that that sort of um, you know, the fact that Liz was going to be a doctor and then she just becomes a housewife and that Corinne, uh, you know, just is a housewife. I think she does see the sort of, you know, the, the suffocating role that women are pushed into in that period. Um, uh, and she describes it quite well. And she is sort of seen as a feminist writer as well. And so I think that is uh, part of her writing. Um, and uh, and I think and then I think the, the third thing I was just going to mention is I do think there is you could accuse the book of saying, you know, the most sexually exciting people are, are black, you know, dark black people. And that is a bit stereotypical. And I think she definitely does kind of introduce that into the book. And I think it's interesting that, um, you know, the white guy that uh, Shelby is going to marry Mead he at least is a jazz player which is obviously you know the kind of coming together of the two cultures because jazz itself is obviously from the you know the kind of whole uh renaissance the the harlem renaissance it comes out of that kind of period and that the fact that he adopts jazz and he plays in a uh you know he, he holds his own in this jazz band and everything i think kind of also sort of redeems him a little bit in that he sort of may also have that sort of potency but I think there is something in there that is a bit you know of, of its times so um, but things to discuss yeah I, I just got one question which is just 
there's a very interesting discussion on race, but just on the end of the book, when we discuss, when I read the book, I said in the office, it reminded me, maybe and Therese or Bridge can remember many years ago, when we discussed the sea by John, when we discussed the sea by John Banville, uh, and I, I, you might you might want to cover your ears, anybody who hasn't got to the end of this book yet, because but it has a the, the, because we don't because we do spoilers, but it, it ha, there's a tragic ending, and no, and nobody's sort of mentioned that at all, uh, um, and this what whereas when we discussed John Banville the sea, all you could discuss was the like another spoiler there was a tragic ending, which is which is. <laughs> Even more so, and it was the whole book centered around that was the book, and everything centered around that. So it was, and that was 15 years ago, and I vividly remember that book as if it was today, which is for that reason. Whereas this one, the the, the way it ends, it's almost I don't petering out might be a bit strong, but it's almost it just sort of happens, and then you sort of finish the book. It doesn't it. it it, it it sort of loses something in the drama. The fact that nobody's mentioned it all evening is quite striking. But I don't know that means anything. But what, just comparing those two books, which may not be legitimate, but there's a certain comparison in that, and one which was dominated by the ending, and this one where the ending, all the other things are so interesting that you you don't even get on to discussing it. That was just uh, a thought. Anyway, uh, Claire. Actually, that's true, but I don't have an answer, <laughs> so I'll say what I was going to say. Um, having said that this is a book, you know, obviously the, the, the issue of race and skin colour, explicitly skin colour, is a big theme of this book and the whole ways that we've talked about it. But, the, the, but there's also a danger that we overdo it because it's also, as Shirley Laws pointed out, it's also like a family dynastic novel, you know, that 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 happens to be about a black family's history and and so on and so forth and it it indicates that it's complicated you know that over history it's a complicated matter and if you think about it um uh the the way that this would take we would recognize some of this in discussions or descriptions of or, you know, novels that you would recognize class and the distinctions and the changes over a period of time in terms of class, a certain amount of snobbery. Um, I actually thought that what was really funny was that in some ways the family looked down on Mead because he was a jazz player, a, a <laughs> jazz musician. I mean, there's the good old snobbery. I mean, it's not, you know, on the one hand, she's marrying a white boy. On the other hand, she's marrying a jazz musician, insecure, you know, I mean, I mean if only he was a doctor or a, you know, so there was that side to it, which was there was also a kind of you know that kind of way that 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 families that have become established, having acknowledging that they came from humble roots, then are anxious about their more liberal and uh, you know kind of bohemian offspring as they go off freely and do what they want and won't be conventional, won't play by the rules. And although that's reflected through the prism of uh, of uh, race, of course, in some ways it's a story that's universal because we can all relate to it. That's it's a human story, and it is literature. And if this otherwise we're just doing anthropology, you know. And it's not like that at all. You do understand something of the Black American experience, 
but you also understand the rows between the sisters, the arguments about who you marry, are you marrying the right person for the right reasons? Um, I do agree with you that, that, that things like the tragedy at the end, yeah, probably, it is true, didn't, I mean, it had a terrible shock when it happened, but it's not as though, I was more affected by the lost child uh, wandering around not being found earlier on. Is that Shelby lost? I can't remember who it was. But anyway, I, I was more affected by that story, the idea of a child wandering around and not being noticed that she was lost. And, and, and oh, that was because she was black, but you know, then the tragedy at the end. So I don't know about that, but I just don't want us to overdo it on this race, but there's also the human experience that takes different forms because of different historic uh, uh, backgrounds. And I also just wanted to say as well that I thought some of the women's, I didn't think it was so much that it was feminist, it was an absolutely correct recognition as Jane Austen had noted before, well before and other people, which is that marriage has been a terrible blight on women. You know, mm. it's both their liberation, but it's a pain in the bloody neck, you know, because you end up historically having to get married and stop your career. And of course, that experience, again, is not, so she will have been aware of that in the 60s, but I don't know that, I, I mean, that's just part of the modern woman's condition, that you acknowledge that the, the, the dynastic improve yourself through marriage question is a trap for many women. And so I thought, again, that if anything, what was refreshing was that Shelby was throwing off the shackles as well by marrying an unsuitable person. And you had some hope that beyond skin color that they were kind of gonna make a fist of it just because they were going against the grain. I wasn't there for the Banville book you mentioned, but there were some echoes for me of Small Island because of the colorism in that. Um, I don't know if anyone else was there for that. And I remember there was a there was a, a, a character in that who was a, a light-skinned, beautiful black woman who had no concerns about if the Nazis came to their area because she was so beautiful and so light-skinned. But anyway, that was just a, a little thing. One of the things I found interesting about it was the way different forms of prejudice were represented. So um, you had the people with the very fixed taboos, um, very rigid ideas like Graham, but some of the prejudice was um, sort of without malice, like in the incident where um, Shelby got lost, it was a kind of prejudice where people were just not seeing individuals as they are, but without any sort of malign intent. It was just once Overlight was mentioned, it was, she was assumed to be black. Um, but, and there was another aspect um, that struck me. It was a little detail within the book, but it, it somehow um, got through to me of Melissa, the mother of Hannibal, and how we get a little insight into how um, intellectually aspirant she was and that she was never able to fulfill that. Um, that she was very um, quick-minded, but all, the only opportunity for her to make any sort of way in life was as a cook. And, you know, irony or not, it was her son who had the more intellectual life. Um, and I don't know if I was impacted by 
um, attending Frank's book launch earlier in the year on borders, but I kept on seeing borders and immigration everywhere. So a lot of people within the book were immigrants within their own country. And as with immigration elsewhere, some made a wonderful new life in this newfound land and some really struggled, um, including Stephanie, who was alienated and isolated in the place she had migrated to. Um, and there were also the sort of borders that um, Shelby crossed just by wandering out of, of the Oval. And there were borders in all sorts of places. And I think it was interesting, another little detail of snobbery. I think one of the um, reservations people had about Mead was that he was the son of a seed salesman. Thank you. Uh, Pamela, hi. Hello. Um, so I, I have been thinking for a while. And so I just thought, well, because Claire said it um, about uh, a lot of the character, you know, obviously there's this classism and snobbery within the the, the main characters that, that are all coloured, um, is, is something that I thought might be one of the reasons why maybe this book, not so much that it's not wider read, but maybe why it wouldn't make it onto the curriculum, because someone made that point earlier, and obviously we've got, um, I mean, I don't teach... Uh, GCSE or school years, but my sister does, and she's definitely taught Mar Mallory Blackman's uh, Noughts and Crosses, if anyone knows it. It is something that I suppose more if you're a teenager in the 90s, like my, yeah, then you would have read it. Um, and I suppose this text is maybe, it's just much more subtle and it's not, and, and I just, I what I quite liked about it is actually that I got very lost in this rich tapestry of, you know, these, Five, five, was it five generations and got really lost in those stories and so every now and then there was something about uh, colour or race that, that came into it and I'm not saying that it's not a big theme but she wasn't ramming it down your throat it didn't feel angry you know it just felt like it was giving quite an honest account of yeah, yeah of history and how, how things developed and so maybe that's why in the 60s it wouldn't have been fashionable because of the civil rights movement and maybe that's why even now um you know dennis i think was the one who said that you can't help reading it at the moment um without kind of being very conscious of uh the black lives matter movement and 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 so on um but maybe it's still not that fashionable now because it's not you know, a, like an angry kind of account about these race relations. And certainly I, you know, thought that what was interesting is that it was more, it was still was quite coming down more to snobbery and classism uh, rather than race a lot of the time. But also lots of people have talked about um, the Shelby getting lost. Um, and that, that bit really struck me. And I suppose that was one of the points where um, race what was interesting because I mean no one said it yet but Shelby's supposed to be blonde and blue-eyed which um <laughs> you know uh, I, I was kind of reading it and it's just like well that's why these people don't think that this is the colored girl that's gone missing obviously she's wearing the right outfit and I think it's the policeman that later on kind of tries to cover it up and just say oh well it's because no one said that she had a dog and so that's why we didn't know which <laughs> um but but you know 
if you've if she's actually blonde haired and blue eyed, you kind of have to think. And and they ask her the question, "Are you coloured?" And she looks at herself, and she's she 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 can't tell. So she asks Graham, who immediately says, "Yes, you are." Um, and it's just interesting that I think she says that Shelby's relieved when she hears that, and I don't know if she's relieved because she's coloured or just relieved that she's been put into a box and now she feels like she knows her identity and so you know there maybe is something quite safe in that identity and just to say something about the end is I thought that it was it is a tragic ending um, and it is quite abrupt in that way but I actually thought that it was a really brilliant ending because really I was just like is she going to choose this idiot loot I really hope that she does um, because that, that was sort of when I started to really get into it at the start, because I just thought I just hated him as a character, and I was like, he can't get the girl in the end, he just can't. Um, and so really, once, you know, obviously this tragedy happens, but it's, I think, through that that she really sees, well, you know, this guy is, he clearly did love his daughters, but, you know, I think someone earlier said that really he just uses people, and I think he used his daughters to an extent, and like, he was all, almost kind of thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to get them a mother and still just using them in a way. And I'm not really convinced that Shelby would have ended up any differently to the other three wives that he had. But um, I, I think it, it was it was quite a profound ending that the one character that I think that was close to being a monster, if any there was, you know, kind of got, you know, through through not paying attention and his kind of um, impure intentions, if you like, that kind of happened and that makes her make that decision of it's not going to be you. And then that really lovely bit right at the end where Graham finally goes for her great, great grandchild or whatever it is. But yeah, so I thought it was, I thought it was a great ending. So that's, that's what I have to say. That's great, Pamela. Thank you. So I've got Dennis and then I'll ask Helen for her closing thoughts. Dennis. Yeah. Um, very briefly, I, I, to be honest, I don't think this book would 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 um, sort of carry any great weight as a dynastic as a dynastic kind of novel. I think it's central to the whole sort of you know sort of you know greatness of the book, and I think it is a good book. You know, uh, is 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 its whole dealing with the issue of race, <laughs> and, and without that, it it. it it wouldn't have any frisson to it at all. Uh, and then, um, you know, so um, the interesting sort of character for me in many ways was Luke McNeil, because um, he, he's a juxtaposition between the kind of, you know, the aspirations of more middle-class black people and, uh, you know, what you might call sort of, I suppose, you know, street black people or, you know, like he's he's a kind of character that brings to mind, you know, Mac the Knife from Louis Armstrong's kind of depiction of sort of certain individuals in black society. But 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 I mean, he was he's interesting insofar as Tina, his daughter, the one who gets killed in the end, is his most favorite daughter, and he he kind of he he sees her sort of much more through the prism of race than he does the other two girls. Funny enough. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, because he married a Polish girl and he, I've forgotten um, which, I've forgotten which um, mother um, um, Tina belongs to, but uh, the whole depiction of race, even in that sort of 
lower level, if you like, of black society, uh, you know, where the Lute McNeil as a kind of man who made it making furniture, um, sort of uh, doesn't leave behind the brutality of, of, of what, you know, is for many black people in America at the time, sort of the way, a, a way of existing and preying on each other and trying to prey on whoever you can to exist. And those aspects of the novel are, you know, you know, are, are very interesting because it's not, it's not often brought out in that way that the issue of race permeates so deeply, you know, into sort of, you know, into criminality and obnoxious behavior, but also into the, into the kind of more sedate aspects of people's lives at, at, at an everyday level. And um, uh, I thought that's what gives the, the book its kind of, you know, its value as a, as a novel, um, not, not the, the kind of the trajectory from sort of, you know, sort of poor, poor, poor black in the South to a doctor in, 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 a, in, in, in New York, which is, you know, the least interesting part of it. Thanks. Okay, Helen. Okay, so um, I'm glad everyone liked it, or most people liked it. Um, I think it is uh, a, I think it's an unusual novel. I think, it, I think the fact that it deals with um, intra-racial uh, tensions rather than just interracial tensions, I think just that in and of itself, I think makes it quite unusual um, and not something that is often explored in a, um, in a, in a very kind of free and easy way. So I thought, I think it's, it's you know, it has some unique qualities and, um, you know, I do think that it is, it is worthy of, you know, being included a lot more than it is at the moment. I think it should be more widely read. I think it's a bit like that book. I think you guys read it, um, the book club uh, Stoner, which is yeah. one of those kind of really quiet books that uh, but tells the story, um, you know, it tells a completely different story, but it tells a story that is actually quite important. And I think this one is quite important as well. And I think that it needs somebody other than me just to discover it, you know, and it's not just me, but I think, you know, it would be great if it just could be get more into circulation because I think it is thought provoking and uh, interesting. Um, I think the point that Claire made about you know, historically, the the uh, burden of marriage, I think, is completely correct. In fact, Dorothy West was very anti-marriage. She didn't marry. Um, she did. She thought it was uh, it was terrible for women to get married. She never married. She remained an editor on uh, Martha's Vineyard for all you know most of her life. She was a newspaper editor there, um, and she died a single woman and um, was very happy about it. And I think that that kind of um, you know, does show that she does have that sort of sense that, you know, you have to make yourself and you can't kind of shackle yourself uh, to, to, to marriage. And she was very much a product of that, that kind of times. I think the final thing I would say is that, and this is where I thought everybody might think it was a bit soppy, um, but I mean, it, it, I think the real thing that comes out of this book is the sort of humanity of the book. I think it's, you know, and, and, I think it's kind of sense of the importance of love is really beautiful. I mean, you know, that sounds soppy and, you know, all of that, but I think that it has a, a kind of the idea that, you know, whether it's love transcends everything or whatever it is, it says it in a way that is um, eloquent and quiet, 
but very convincing. And I think in that sense, it is a really great novel. Um, I, I, you know, that story, there are stories that I've read here that, um, you know, I read it a couple of years ago. I had to, I reread it this weekend, but I had forgotten that those stories were in this book. So like, you know, the story of Shelby getting lost. It's such a, I mean, I'd remembered that was in this book, but it's in and of itself, it's such a powerful story or the story of the school teacher or the story of the uh, preacher, you know, they are all, they're wonderful little vignettes or short stories or standalone stories. And each one of them kind of comes back to you as once you've read the book in a way that I think, you know, all great, good and great literature does that it comes to kind of resonate with you um, in a way that I think is, um, you know, really touching and important. And so I think it's a great book. I'm very glad everybody read it. I hope you convince other people to read it as well. It's great. So thank you. Read it again. Thank you, Helen. It's great. Thank you very much. So, thank you very much. That's very interesting. The, the suggested other books in the chat, and we'll have a look at those and, and, and other suggestions of future uh, book clubs. As I mentioned at the beginning, the next Academy of Ideas Zoom is the discussion of um, the problem with parenting book in a couple of weeks' time with Nancy McDermott and Jan McBarish. Um, and there'll be plenty of other discussions we'll keep you informed about by email or on the website and just to say that the event I mentioned earlier on uh, race and racism on the 28th of November um, Alka is one of the lecturers at that and that'll be an interesting day to mull over a lot of issues that have been um, uh, ever present this year uh, looking historically at a lot of these issues so thanks all very much I'll keep things open for a little while